Hello, and welcome to episode one of book five, titled, A God Once, Tra- Once Dead, Now Transcendent. I hope you like it. Let's begin. Amidst the crumbling ruins of the man-made kingdom of Darrell, frozen over by glacial ice, King Ansel I, and only king of the ambitious, newly erected United Nation of the Dwarves, stood up in his stirrups. He had not done this before, as doing so would prove him unfit to ride any horse, causing him to topple over, throwing him on his backside. But he was wary of the curious creature in front of him, a mottled snake with green and white spots that seemed to seep within the animal's hide. The wounds appeared like eyes that sought confirmation but expressed a raw terror. The creature's flesh appeared to be a thin film of dead skin, a stocking with holes needing gentle, diligent mending. I know you, the dwarf asserted, barking in his resonating, uniquely dwarven voice. I deserve your respect. Don't you know a king when you see one? What about you, retorted the creature, snarling, writhing, contorting, his tongue flickering like a whip behind his saber-like teeth. You must be a fool, for you refuse to acknowledge a god. Do not fall down before him. The dwarf scoffed. I refuse to greet any god who refuses to see me, the one king of all the dwarves, as his equal. The serpent said nothing, allowing his wrenching scales and his chafing skin to speak for him. The touch of his dull flesh on the pliable sand served to communicate the alarming hostility of the creature, together with the god's thorough unwillingness to listen. The snake hissed, his shifting body allowing his blue, opaque scales to reflect softly the light of the moon. The conscious move made by the snake had the effect of diffusing any contempt the dwarf might have had for the snake, for the god, if only every god made the same effort to seduce a mortal. Silence thickly isolated the pair. King King Ansel spoke intermittently as if he were fighting off sleep or struggling to combat an overpowering spell. What is this you do to me, he demanded. He frantically clawed for eyes that closed on him. He desperately dug his spurs into the flank of his mount with his heavy legs, limbs losing circulation because of the girth of his ride. The snake chuckled softly, his voice throttled, the tip of his tail writing ever-spoken profanities and the eternal ash beneath the pair. I have a question for you. Is this reality where you stand? The question jarred the dwarf. He withdrew his weapon, having dug beneath the blue-green armor, and took a step back. What's that you say? He cursed himself, then feared himself, the ignorant, lifeless shell he had become. He could not distinguish it from many stones he had worked and fitted into timeless, unbreachable structures. The words he spoke, he did not recognize as words. Who am I? Every light had a refuting face to it. Every word shouted him down and made accusations. His existence, a sheen laid bare, he was no longer a worthy mortal. Told him, convinced him he was, a com- he was common and no king. He wrestled it. He threw it over. Had he not been willing to question who and where he was, or assert he was a dwarf like no other, who would by now have, lost, have been lost, having succumbed to his own ignorance. Reality was something his own hands worked, 
his own mind planned out. Strong structures with passages interwoven with pathways fashioned. No god, however seductive, could wrench them from his firm hands. You have drifted off minutes ago. You are asleep. You are fighting. How can you deny that you are not sleeping? Why look at your horse, drugged by my venom, the last tugging thorn of that singular plot you tirelessly and proudly worked? Yes, this may be a god, this snake you see before you. What you see is an illusion, for it is safest for this god to deceive you. His mantle cloaks and adorns his own lusts and terrors. He is the god of dreams. What victory do you enjoy in this god's realm? I determine the stakes you win or lose. Your every triumph is the victory of a sleeper. These victories that you brandish, fruit with acrid pulp, you cannot know, but you are in a position of complete surrender. You will sleep. You will never wake again. You are my slave. I determine your reality. You must know only terror. You, come, you coming here and acknowledging me, he who owns you, my latest victory over a sleeper who must concede he is asleep. Only now I know my dutiful preparation. preparations have not been in vain. You are a fool, if in fact you are a god, determined King Ansel. Tell me, does one doubt in his dreams? What is this god's weakness, this god that has created our shared reality, this god I only recently have begun to respect and to haunt? Do you know? I learned your weakness years ago. It is the same weakness I myself recognize, wrestled with, and ultimately subdued, the remaining obstacle to my being king. I am victorious over our shared weakness. I have diligently cultivated sobriety, which is why I have come to you now. You don't listen. Yes, truth, that chaste sulfur. You could defeat me. Are you not always victorious? The snake disposed of his command effortlessly, working, stitching the seamless hem of the heavy curtain, trapping cumbersome dreams behind it. I am listening. Tell me what I am ignorant of. I have spent generations learning how men have developed their knowledge. A peculiar harvest. I am confident. I know men well enough. Dwarves even better that I know all about you. Enough to say that I can determine anything you endeavor to act out on me. Why, you cannot measure or contain my authority. The mirth of the dwarf's eye cajoled the snake. The dwarf shook his head, the moonlight catching his crown and the curly locks of his blonde hair dancing in an erotic central witch's dance, wearing the god with flaming tendrils. You do not respect mortality like a man does, like I do. You do not appreciate the past. That will be, well, that which you have lived through that has value. I have already defeated you years ago. You are blind. You have surrendered your many eyes. That will be your undoing. The snake hesitated. The tongue flicked sharply, tasting the bold, unforgiving copper of the air. You see your tail, queried the dwarf, a look of profound delight in his eye. Your tail is fear. Fear follows you. Can you remove your tail from you? The, next, the snake scowled, as much as I can take tomorrow away from me. The dwarf weighed the axe, death tethered and nursed at the end of his weapon, the king clasping 
the rattling chain and deliberately, painstakingly pulling him in, positioning himself steadfastly against his most, his most clever of foes. Gods do not know yesterday. Yesterday is the only thing that can kill a god. I have yesterday in my pocket. Yesterday is bound to today. The reality you have created around me, you do not see it completely. It has maintained my lush garden by my memories. You may offer the domain, but I have erected the houses on it. I own our reality. The snake recoiled. Words, everything that was ever written in his mind, were gathered wherever the soil was reposited, curbed against his winking flesh. Everything, the only thing that is true, that is now. There is only flame. You cannot capture or curtail flame. What about yesterday? queried the king. Tell me that it never was. Tell me I should place no hope in it, that it has determined the end of my reign, my doom. The snake began to whisper now, comforting himself and commanding his environment, writing an arcane language of foreign symbols that had not been witnessed nor interpreted by any mortal now living. The vehement hiss of the shifting sands would have driven the sane mad, but that peculiar, even hostile utterance found no moorings than dwarf's dull head. As a king, he had, leaned, he had learned to imbibe such poisons until he was immune to its intent. Dwarf adjusted his winking, clinking mail, such that he made the effort to continue circling the reptile, confining him. It produced the disturbing sound of a web of silver thread unraveling. The creature regarded the noise of it as though it were the utterance of a merciless, tireless automaton, a slinking coil of wire reverberating, announcing his descent along the stone shaft of a well, irretrievable, lost, fatal. <laughs> the snake implored his internal brother, the indefatigable new moon, as it knelt in that cloven mountain pass, touching with silver the toothy crags of ice and unblemished snow. Is it true? Can it be? I do not know yesterday. Yet, in the realms of the Abyssine, could yesterday have cloaked itself? Could it have snuck upon me? As Machibus Chameleon time claimed my throne? The Dwarf Lord, as if an old man favoring a king, further restricting the duplicit god, diffusing his wrath, curtailing his guile, continued to hobble a path, encroaching upon his quarry. Slowly, the king of the dwarves knitted an invisible barrier. The king's boots defined the thinnest of walls, made impossible to cross by the insertion of a single word as a bronze shimmering key, an enchantment as visible as the sunset, impossible to alter, as gods cannot see them for the crushing force they represent. I do not know this yesterday, confirmed the creature, his searching eye a ruddy, blood-starved clay. Should you bring this out, this impossible spell, I will most definitely defeat it. Lord Ansel continued to articulate the god's frail wicker prison. For gods who understand that they are immortal misstep very early on in the narrow, naive, lone course their lives overtake, they realize that they were invited within the first century of their existence by a stinking, foul-mouthed devil to give up their immortality in exchange for an incalculable brazen gift 
The gift is once and always the same for each and every god. The gift is deception. Again, another frightening machine with gears and blades and blinking marvels that hang and bounce like splendid fruit at the end of copper weaves. A weapon or tool that only men and their brethren dwarves or elves throughout the Epicene can appreciate when mastering. The snake's perennial fear was, it would always be, being deceived. Ansel stood as a monolith, a mute marker, the god's tombstone. The god quaked and a lightless, the ground quaked and a lightless structure exhaled beneath the pair. Yesterday, I killed you. Can you deny it? Deny it, and you have defeated me. You have liberated yourself from this prison. I am dead, confessed the snake, resigning, unfolding, becoming something that was not a god, and resembled a pit of congealed ash, the hound's black gums. He communicated with the earth, with each and every god that bore witness, their own proclamations and blasphemy, blasphemies etched and overturned in the formidable eternal stone underfoot, the mute observers that owned both reality and humanity's faint tailoring of it. I cannot say that you are not right. I have ceased to be. I am dead. I was slain. You did kill me. Yesterday. There was a maniacal glint in the dwarf's eye, a golden waning sun. He brought down his axe, severing the god from its tail. The force of the action upset the frail shell to hell beneath the pair. The god descended into the inky blackness and failed to be a god. Ansel peered down within the blackness and smiled broadly. If no other action, this in itself would affirm he was a king, worthy of the respect of the gods. The serpent paused. He breathed. The chill and darkness crept over it. There was an ember, a bold possibility, when creation blossomed Within cataclysmic annihilation, its roots crushing and starving the unsustainable if timeless, death was not complete, the serpent was not vanquished, the god still lived. Perhaps this was the greatest gift terror had to offer, the hope of resurrection. It was the promise of resurrection that secured the fright's reign over all gods and mortals, both one and the same, especially cruel if it was a lie. The serpent Fought the collapse of the space he had cultivated confidence in for decades. He desperately embraced the words, the bold and concentrant ideas, the curious, charming, indelible calculations. Life was there. Its, its, its essence could be, could be strained from the works of the impassioned and curious and fearless. Mortals were brave and bold when carving their presence within the hostile world. The god could use these same instruments to maintain his hold on life. Enchantments, all of them, the serpent identified. I may still be immortal. How best shall I should I mask myself and my wrath? I must identify a host, deceive him, allow him to think he is a better part of me, that he can use me to improve his own holdings. That would best serve my vengeance. I may yet live. The snake found himself in a pit, the stones of the walls, the convex silver, a polished mirror at the base, a frail reflection, constructed by ambitious and God-fearing men long dead, capturing and parceling the delicate starlight. 
Ames were etched amidst misty constellations, marking witness to the everlasting. The purpose of this pit had never been lost. It was dug, it was crafted, to harness and cage the eternal, speaking and laughing, appraising fright, the smelting fire of asserting the benefits for all idiots that cannot appreciate mortality. The god sat, nursing his wounds and chiding his death, leaning against the worn wall. King Ansel, having captured the snake with the many eyes, the snake that had always been blind, straddled the creature's convulsing tail at the lip of the pit on its flailing, arrogant soul. The purpose of that tail would serve the king in his capacity to judge mercifully. Would harnessing this incomplete, hostile beast corrupt him and harm his rule? He was obviously thinking he should bury this tail. It is a good thing, the king surmised, to fear one's judgment. Should I not fear my judgment, I would not be a good king. He cowered as the many eyes of the snake sparkled like azure gems, relentlessly weaving the king's dynasty. He recognized them. He answered to them. He had peered into each of them. He feared them. He invested entirely in them. The eyes of the children of men from the village of Tsor, whom his sons had slain, avenging the death of the dwarf Tygen. I will avenge your many deaths, children of men, breathed the dwarf lord. I promise, but first I must use this gift to assure my own reign over all dwarves. I must find my traitor. Your many eyes know the truth. You will reveal him to me. You will write his name in the sand. I trust a dead god more than a nation of those I serve. And with that said, King Ansel removed the limp extension that did speak for the eternally vigilant. He wrestled with the tendency of the new treasure to damn him, fighting it, containing it in a soiled canvas bag. I may be deceived, but you never were. God, who does answer to this tale. You are no longer my God. No, you are the God of my subjects. You are the God I invoke. You are the God I can use and no longer submit to. Not, not now, not ever. The tale had written a name into the ash before the king could confine it to the canvas bag. He wept at the name scrawled in the dirt, seeing the whole picture would never be allowed an amicable king. Ansel knew the sentence he must mete out, and he cried for his loss. The one closest to him, closer and more cherished than his own children. King Ansel buried the tail with its many eyes. It cried out incessantly to that part of himself, calling to be made whole, calling to that God matched as he would be a mortal once he was alive once more. Candide's eyes sparkled. In the light of the burning library, the killers, the gods contingent, outpacing the other armies, one hope of triumph in the war of the races. After annihilating a village of elves, elves that hounded their killers and would not rest, even in the grave, blood continuing to hiss from its place on the ground and clamor and bark for flighty justice from each blade of grass or leafy frond it found itself weighing down in this alien acute capacity of being spilt cruelly and indiscriminately. Blood was contained on every page of every book inside this hidden chamber. 
Fire was the only means to silence the indignant proclamations of those who said so much and in order to empower so much more in the chronicles contained within. What resulted was a tinny cacophony that unnerved Charon, Candide's son, to a no end. What amount of rain or fire would dismiss the guilt he suffered in the proximity of, to the abrupt edge of eternity for those elves who did not respect fear or, and who understood death only as cheap and a lie? How many elves must we kill? warranted the goddess. How many elves need kill themselves? The shrieks of those slain and defiled, conveying resonating witness to crimes the elves had enacted and successfully avoided judgment for the last thirty years or so. These cries, they had been assured, would immediately be met with ritualistic acts of purification and redemption that the deaths of elves would immediately instill in the hearts of the entire nation the rage of their brethren, though brandishing the hope of a union of their realm once more with the world as it had once been, pristine and without blemish and without fault, a world the elves always guarded jealously, a world without those mortal, especially now as it was being taken from them by the demanding mortals, one healthy swath at a time, defended by the elves that had stoked within their brethren's hearts the need to take up arms and go out and answer for those elves that found themselves set upon by the hostile races throughout the Abyssinian, for those that respected and cherished and worshipped death. Who do you suppose these voices are for? queried Charon. You study the naked moon, overswept by the azure blue sea of the sky, attempting to defame its witness, as it had tried to do for an eternity even before men and their other Protestant beings, given to living with war and grief, would peel away the persistent blot of it. I have not once seen any elf respond to it, answered the goddess, herself convinced the promise and crime of such a role she occupied being demanding and hostile. She never spoke of it, her being a goddess, but Charon was certain it scoured her flesh. Like humus, and affected her mind like syphilis. With a constant vigil, her office required once escape her. She would most certainly flee the company of insistent beings and throw her, her ever wakeful self down a lightless mine shaft, biding her time therein, listening across the centuries, forever speculative and unf unforgiving dwarfs. Charon refused to think <coughs> he could end the world of her, of her presence. She must always be miserable while among men who constantly make demands of their gods. <coughs> Sorry about that. That concludes uh, episode one of book five, A God. Now dead. Well, <coughs> once dead. <coughs> now transcendent. Uh, sorry about that. I hope you enjoy it. And there will be a new installment next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.